You are listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast with Rob Reed and Josh Galicki, bringing together the love of nature and photography. Episode 7. We talk photography and travel and are joined by a special guest. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Wildlife Photography Podcast with me, Rob Reed, and my co-host, Josh Galicki. Hi, Josh. How's it going? Good, Rob. Great to be here with you today. In the last episode, we talked about photography projects and we concentrated on photography close to home in your own backyard, really, didn't we? And what I thought we'd do this time around is that we'd flip that on its head and and talk about photography and travel. Uh, And to help us with that, I'm really pleased to say that we are joined by a very special guest, an amazing photographer, uh, a bit of a, you know, you're a bit of a wanderlust as well, aren't you, Gail? Terribly, <laughs> terribly. <laughs> and fellow wild art judge, Gail Bisson. Gail, welcome to the podcast and thanks very much for, for the time and, and you've taken and coming on Thank to chat you. to us. Thank you for asking me to be here. I'm going to enjoy it, I'm sure. Talking about my favorite thing. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope so. Now, for those of people that maybe been living under a rock for the last few years and don't know, uh, about you. Why don't you just give everybody a brief introduction to to you, your photography, and you know, uh, and life in general. All right, life in general. Well, life in general is great since I retired four years ago. Uh, however, before that, I was a family physician, and when I went to Africa for my fiftieth birthday, I had taken a point and shoot. And my dream was, you know, we were doing this safari with the kids and all I wanted was pictures of the big five, the elephant, leopard, lion, blah, blah, blah. I never even thought about birds. And then uh, we, we were in a park and we were having a picnic at a picnic table. And this lilac-breasted roller landed in a branch right above our table. And with my little point and shoot, I got this beautiful image, like great background, no bad twigs. I mean, it was pure luck, right? I knew nothing about photographing birds. But uh, anyway, so when I came home and I had all these pictures, I made one of those shutterfly books for the kids and it turned out really well. So I, and I lo- everybody loved the lilac breasted roller picture. So I Googled bird photography. And I mean, holy moly, <laughs> it was just this huge world that I history. <laughs> exactly. I, I felt like was, was your bank account ready for it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I can remember I bought a Canon 7D uh, and a 100 to 400 and just thinking, oh my God, like, uh, I mean, I can't remember what it was at the time. It was probably what, three or $4,000 thinking, I mean, this is unreal that I'm spending this kind of money on myself. And then literally less than a year later, it was gone because it wasn't good enough anymore. <laughs> So, yeah, yep. and that six hundred mil was on the was on the it wish is. list. Well, actually, I did buy set the. I, I bought a five hundred second hand, but you know, Canon long lenses hold their value because I can remember I bought it for seven thousand Canadian dollars, and I had it for four years, and I sold it for six thousand two hundred Canadian dollars. It's pretty so, good. Well, the lens, That's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah, the lenses hold their value, and then I bought a six hundred version two. And I used it for four years, and I think I sold it for two thousand dollars less than I paid for it, which is basically I got it for five hundred dollars a year. Because so now the cameras is a whole different thing. I mean, that's just like driving a car. You walk out of the store with your camera, and it's a lot. You know, it's depreciated by thirty percent before you even take a picture on it. But 
But actually the cameras have turned out to be the cheapest part of photography because it's the trips, right? <laughs> It's like well, horse, we'll get onto that. Obviously, yeah, the horse is cheap, but the uh, the hay and the oats and the board yeah, are, the, really maintaining it is yeah. yeah exactly yeah. Photography can be an expensive business, yes, and, uh, you know. And I've talked to Josh about you know perhaps doing another podcast uh, somewhere down the line about you know perhaps doing wildlife photography on a budget because. Yeah. Oh, it, it's very difficult it is it is very very difficult without remortgaging your house yeah. but you know there are some i can think of two photographers that uh, that i know really well that are incredible photographers and they um have you know one is a civil servant has a very um you know a, a stable job but nothing that allows him to travel out of the country or buy you know 600 millimeter lens and he's you know if you're if you're good and you're talented there is a way to get around it but yeah. i'm not that good or talented so i have to buy expensive oh, come on Kyle. we've all seen your work i know i've seen the pictures you came back with from lake kikini so, oh, geez, that's so, just... so easy though rob like i can't even take credit for that i mean you know the the these um these pelicans are endangered and what's what happened was uh, they flooded an area of Greece and these pelicans of uh, which well there were about 2000 breeding pairs before covid and now there's probably about 750 breeding pairs so there's two lakes where they breed and the main one where i didn't go they lost 70% of their wow. uh, yeah, so wow. it's huge but the you know they they're on this so they breed on this on lake kirkini and um in the winter, they can't dive deep enough to get the fish because it gets cold and the fish move down. Now, they do follow the cormorants and they'll steal from the cormorants, but basically they rely on the fishermen's handouts. I mean, otherwise they would die. They, they, hmm. uh, that's you know, Sounds similar to the crane situation in Japan, in Hokkaido, yeah. I think it's yeah. a similar. Uh, it's yeah. the same thing. So that it's kind of a, you know, the, it's a two-edged knife. I mean, yes, they're being fed by humans, uh, but the fishermen who's have you know have lost a lot of money because the fisher and their, their livelihood is endangered just by the lack of fish have flipped it over into a commercial tourist business for photographers yeah. and you know and the uh, the uh, pelicans benefit for sure so i mean you can i mean just walking along the shore they'll the pelicans will move in looking for a feed whether you have fish or not right they wow. just know that humans have fish for them and they're like ducks after bread aren't they yeah it, <laughs> it, you know and it's it's you know they're such a beautiful bird so i always have such mixed feelings like when when that happens i think oh this is so cool i'm getting such good shots but then i'm thinking eh, but it's this isn't the way how initially it was to get the shots but the thing is is that these birds would die in the winter if the fishermen didn't yeah. feed because they cannot yeah, dive deep enough to get the fish well i mean yeah. you know and, and your your images were, were the inspiration for us to do this podcast because you yeah. you've only just been to lake kikini haven't you in, in yeah. early january yeah yeah and i'm so glad i went like it's it's not a destination that i would have normally picked um i tend to like you know alaska and northern destinations iceland where it where it's cold and and i think where with the population of birds is more representative of canadian possibilities right so mm -hmm. it, it's not a place that i would have normally gone but i won the trip and so i that way back before covid but i finally got a chance to take it and uh, i'm so glad i went it was just so 
really cool. And it's such a, it's not Santorini or Mykonos or any of those fancy Greek islands. This is, uh, it's north and it's about an hour and an hour and a half drive north of Thessaloniki and you're about mm. 10 kilometers from the Bulgarian border. And uh, it's just an area that never in a million years I would have gone, which is what is so much fun about traveling for breweries. You go to the strangest and weirdest places and they always end up most of the time being really, really cool. Even if you don't get any good beer, beer pictures, they usually end up being really cool places to check out. Yeah. It looks quite big on the map, Gail. I'm looking at it right now, uh, the lake itself. Yeah, it is quite big. Size. Yeah, I yeah. think it's about, oh, I did ask that question. I would say it's roughly about 10 miles wide and maybe wow. five miles yeah. long. Because yeah. they, they've, got, they've got special platforms, haven't they? They built, built special platforms to stop them getting flooded so they can nest. There's a lot of natural islands there, and so that's where where you'll see them. But uh, they weren't nesting when we were there, um, and mostly they seem to be using the natural islands uh, for preening and, you know, just more social thing. Um, so I'm not quite sure, but I do know that at the other lake, they definitely have platforms for them. But I didn't see any on the lake. What's like, the reason for the recent decline you mentioned, Gail, in terms of the numbers? Was it 2,000 to, was it 700 breeding pair? It, on the, on the first thing, it was, it was avian flu, right? That's what uh, I see. Uh. It's avian flu, so it wiped them out. And But yeah. I think the numbers are just down because, again, all the, the usual pressures. I mean, you know, overdevelopment and not mm. enough food and human um, humans invading their space. I'll tell you a funny story, well, not a funny story, <laughs> funny as in weird, um, about avian flu. And this is just before, oh, it must have been, yeah, probably getting on for 12 months ago, actually. And I, and I, in fact, I was just about to do one of the live events for Wild Art. I was just preparing for that. And I had a knock on the door. And um, it was it was a neighbor. And he said, oh, I've come across this dead red kite in, in our horse paddock. I said, okay. Um, he said, what, what should I do? And I said, well, I, I can't really deal with it now because I'm just about to do a presentation, but why don't you put it in a, in a bin liner and, and leave it on the, leave it on the doorstep and I'll, I'll deal with it <laughs> basically. Um, <clears throat> so I hadn't thought about bird flu as being a possibility, but I rang um, DEFRA, who, the, you know, the government agency uh, where you report these things um, and explained what had happened, but it was that was right. It, it was Christmas, not this year, last year. So it was a year ago, over a year ago. And um, so I rang them in between Christmas and New Year, and uh, and asked them what I should do with it. And they said I oh, will send somebody out to pick it up because we were a bit concerned about bird flu. And I I hadn't thought about that possibility. And of course I'd handled it and whatever because I'd, I you know I had to have a look, didn't I? <laughs> Just to see, but I couldn't see any obvious signs of it being shot or poisoned, which was what I was worried about. Uh, and then, th so th this woman came along in a van with rubber gloves and the face mask and this, that, and the other, and put this thing in a bag and, and took it away. And she'd asked me whether I'd handled it and whatever. And I said, well, yes, I had. She said, well, I'll be in touch if if it, um, you know, if it comes back as a positive test. Anyway, because it was that Christmas break, it was a couple of weeks before they got back in touch with me. And they said, by the way, it died of bird flu. Did you touch it? And I said, yes. And they said, when did you last touch it? And I, I could, I could pinpoint the exact day because it was that sort of Christmas new year period. And so it was over 15 days, I think something like that. And, uh, and they said, Oh, that's, have you been ill? And I said, no. 
And they said, oh, okay, um, that's all right then. If it had been within two weeks, they'd have sent the swab team round basically mm. to test me because they're really worried with the COVID situation about avian flu making that jump from birds, you know, to humans. So, yeah. Anyway, that's wow. my bird flu story. But it's been it's been quite devastating around here, actually, you know, around, around my area. Hmm. I saw a newspaper article that had aerial views of the other lake where the bigger um, pelican population is, and it was on these little islands. Like there was just bodies after bodies, and it, and they picked them all up. And hmm. I mean, it was a huge affair to get them all picked up. But it's just so uh, sad when you see these aerial views of these yeah. dead pelicans. It's. Um, I mean, I've I picked up I, when, when we've been uh, away, and we've been to the coast this uh, last year, um, in the summer and in the autumn. We were forever coming across, um, you know, the bodies of dead gannets and uh, razorbills and things and other seabirds that obviously had succumbed to, to avian flu. And I know Shetland, for example, was really badly hit. I saw an article, Rob, with Shetland, the skuas. I yeah. think uh, great skuas are, are in very low number up there due to uh, avian flu. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's very worrying, you know, and I know that, you know, we, we've got an egg shortage here at the moment because, of course, all the farmers have had to keep the chickens inside. Um, so that's that's mm. causing a bit of an issue. But uh, anyway. Yeah. anyway, we digress. Yeah, <laughs> we, we digress. <laughs> so back to Lake Kirkini. And okay. I've, I've got a, I've got a fact actually that, that the actually the Dalmatian pelican is the largest species of pelican on the planet, isn't it? They weigh yeah. between eight and ten pounds, and I think the wingspan can be as long as big, ten to twelve feet, roughly. It's three, yeah, three and a half Huge. meters. So, yeah, ten to twelve feet. Yeah, enormous. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've not seen one, <laughs> but I mean, it's like wandering albatross territories. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. It is. Yeah. It's, it definitely is the. Uh, but they are beautiful. They are so beautiful with their their bright red pouch and their blue eye, and they're just they're and they're. Um, there's they're just fun i mean they fight a lot there's a lot of squabbling and it, they're just interesting characters yeah. to see the uh, i One really that stands out when i see a lot of the dalmatian, uh, dalmatian pelican shots from lake kirkini is the light there there's mm -hmm. a soft light yes. quality there of like powder blues and pinks and it augments the birds i think so nicely as far as the, the color palette yes. goes it's it's really cool. The first day we were there, it was torrential rain, and so I, the uh, I thought, oh, anyway, it was so. And it's funny, I, you know, you're still out there on the boat. So in the morning, I took a gazillion pictures, which I promptly form I formatted my card when I got back to the hotel that morning. But then that afternoon, we went out, and it was start the clouds are starting to move out, and I thought it's still going to be crap light. And then before you know it, it's there's something about like the it's really high mountains um to the north and then just sort of rolling hills to the south of it and there's just something about it like the sky the sunset and sunrises the sky is always seems to be pink and it just gives that mm. really cool hue and even when it's cloudy it's like a it's it's just the really it's the nicest light it's really neat i don't i mean it has to have something to do with the mountains and the the yeah. depth of the lake and mm. um, it's it really is now i find i have to say that personally i find that a lot of the pictures that i see from lake kirkini the sat people have bumped up the saturation um but even without bumping the saturation the sky is still pink and that water is still yeah. that really cool color mm. it's um, gorgeous yeah it yeah, really is. I, I mean, you know, there, there are, there are the, you know, there are various pictures that really stick in my mind 
from Lake Kikini over the years, particularly working with, you know, on Bird Photographer of the Year, yeah. you know, for, that, for those first few years. And I can remember uh, uh, Ben St. Matei and his picture where I think what he used to do was he used to hang a camera off the back of a boat and he used to trail it uh, with with fish. And these things used to, you know, they they come in really close. You you get this wide angle lens, so you yeah. get all these goofy shots with their beaks wide open. They're literally <laughs> right on the camera, and it was, yeah. it, I mean, they were superb. And then I, I think it was Johann Sigerson. He he took um, a, a really cool shot with those mountains you were talking about in the background and the group of pelicans on the ice. And it so it was it was more of a sort of environmental birds in the environment type shot and it was really cool and that had some really lovely color tones in it and then of course you you know we always remember car and steel's image yeah. of the the one sort of skipping towards you on the ice which was really goofy and and really good fun with you know again with those really nice little pastel colors but i i think you know when you were talking about boosting the saturation i think that's probably one of those examples um, yeah i mean because the um there's a lot of pictures that I've seen out there that now that I've been, uh, I mean, mm. you know, I would say, yes, the pinks and the blues are there, but, um, I mean, I, when I, any pictures that you've seen that I've posted, I have stayed true to the colors. I didn't jack up anything. Cause I just wanted to see how it, how people reacted to like the way it really is, as opposed to uh, with jacked up colors. And it, it, it's still beautiful without, you know, jacking yeah. up the colors. I saw your images, Gail. They're beautiful. And I I, to yeah. I totally agree with you. I mean, there's beauty and subtlety. And there seems to be a trend when folks post-process and they juice colors all the time to a point where it looks fake. Um, uh, there's something to be said about subtlety and reality when you process photos. So I'm, I'm totally yeah. with you on that. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've just written an article, actually, <clears throat> for um, local uh, for the uh, birdwatching magazine that we get in the UK. I've called it um, uh, art or deception, hmm. <laughs> which, which kind of sort of touches on on digital manipulation and you know the acceptance of of, of how far you go and and what people are happy with and what they're not happy with. I'd say it's so. even gone past acceptance to expectation. Like, yeah, I think the worst offenders are travel brochures. You know, hmm. that you know the Tahiti the Tahiti colors. That it's just you know. And then if people don't see those beautiful blues of the ocean and the beautiful greens from the mountains and the tropics, like they're not, they're not engaged in that travel magazine. It, people are just, it's beyond accepted. They expect to see these colors yeah. and they're, they're not true. Well, they're I mean, selling a dream, aren't they? Well, yeah. 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 Selling selling a dream. But now you're going back to your images from Kikini, Gail. There, I mean, I I particularly like that panning shot that you have with the one coming in in flight. Oh, the blur. The yeah, one the blur that was fabulous. <laughs> and and your double exposure. I thought that was really good. Yeah. And I thought, no, that Gail's really getting in touch with the artistic yeah. side well, of the of right. photography that's process. Wild art. Great. That's wild yeah. art. Actually, you know what? As frustrating as it is to do those, um, because yeah, I mean, I had five full days, so you, there's no pressure to get the. Oh, I have to get this shot. I have to get that shot. I mean, yeah. it was easy to get those sh typical shots right off 
the bat and then it was just fun to play but literally to get any good blur as both of you know I mean it's like I, I think I wrote on I think that it was like for every 200 pictures I have one that I liked well that's yeah. a lot probably more like 500 <laughs> every 500 well, it's, it's 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 no different from me I take 200 pictures before I get one I like anyway yeah yeah I'm said before <laughs> but the double exposure stuff that I mean that's really fun and and um because I'm so new at it, like some of the pictures, I still can't figure out how I got them because, you know, I only had two exposures. Um, and, but I think I, one, I hit continuous instead of resetting the camera. So mm. I got like a triple exposure when I wasn't expecting. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, you know, you can add and add and add, can't you? And, you know, and the, you know the possibilities are endless. I know. I mean, there's a lot of crap, right? But I mean, the one that I sent you is probably the best one. And it just gives you ideas, but it's really hard, like with moving subjects, like it, then it's exponentially that much harder because yeah. you can't plan, you know, how, how it's going to work out, but sometimes it works out for the best and sometimes it, but I just, it's just fun. It's just like, it's kind of like fishing and you never know when you're going to get a good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, and when when you do, you just sit, you're skipping down the. I know it's like a happy dance. I could go, and then of course, because I'm still so new, I looked at at the one that I sent you, and I thought, I think this could be good. Is this good? I don't know. So then I sent it off. Gail, you know, if, if you got those up on your Facebook page. Yeah, uh, yeah, because we ought yeah. to link. We ought to link in the show notes to your oh, yeah, Facebook okay. page where we're people can actually. In. See these pictures. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's do that. Let's link your website so all people right. can go and have a look and 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 they they, they can see what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but it is. But it, it, I'm when I was there, I was trying to figure out what was it about the quality of the light in that place that yeah makes it so mm. magical. Like it's it and, and I mean I've been in places where there's mountains and a lake and but you don't get that that light and and the cloud like the clouds seem to come in and when the clouds come mm. in they're not gray they're lit up orange and pink like every time it seems like almost every time and so how yeah it's amazing the, yeah. Uh, yeah and and if you're gonna if you digress off photography the the food isn't that the whole, the whole point about travel anyway it's not just about the photography it's about immersing yourself in the experience of of somewhere new isn't it yeah oh yeah and the place that we stayed was very typical greek hotel with stone floors and stone walls and the beam ceilings and every room had a fireplace which we did we didn't use i mean we were never there but um it was uh you yeah, know it was just a really cool place and it, it felt like um i had to go to an atm machine and in this little town uh there was no atm machine so the hotel owner drove me about 15 kilometers away to go to the ATM machine and and it was so like not touristy Greek Greece at all like it was just uh, and you know people are waving at each other and you know the the guy must have stopped his car three times because there's you know there's kids crossing the road and there's goats crossing the road and it was just it, like it's definitely not you know Mykonos or Santorini or these you know these A-lister places it's just very cool to go yeah I'm sorry, Josh. I think I think I interrupted you about to say something. Yeah, no worries. Um, Gail, we photographed birds for many years, and most birds that we photograph, obviously, they're not confiding subjects. They fly away and they're skittish. That's just the nature of birds. What was it like being in that situation where you have these birds that are so confiding, 
where, you know, I, I suspect you can almost touch them or walk right up to them. How was that different for you when it comes to shooting uh, a situation like that versus most of the other places, you know, we've shot across North America? Well, I brought my 600 millimeter and I should have left it at home. Mm. I, um, I bought a 50, the RF 14 to 35, and I used that a lot. I mean, because wow. the, I mean, basically, you hang over the boat. Oh, you should you should have seen that all of us had were bruised from here to here because you're hanging <laughs> over the edge of the boat and you're using your flippy screen so that your your camera is literally half an inch above the water, and so you're looking through your flippy screen with your 15 to 35. And I use my 100 to 500 a lot because for the tight eye shots, um, but I'm I'm not like I I use my wide angle more in five days than I have in in three years and I, I used my 24 to 70 and it was really kind of cool to see how uh, like I have one picture of four Dalmatian pelicans at completely varying distances from the boat but I was at 14 millimeters with that 14 and they're all tack sharp which is something you would never get <laughs> with a 600 yeah. millimeter right like never yeah. in years and uh, <clears throat> and it it also forces you, now it was really hard because you're hanging over the edge of the boat and the boat is moving, but I found myself, you think a lot more about composition and, and making sure that the camera was angled to get the, the mountain, like I didn't want cut off mountaintops, right? So there was a lot of that. And then uh, making sure your horizon level is level. That, that was probably my biggest boo-boo. If I went back, I would be so much more careful about that because I had a lot of things by the time i rotated the image the mountaintop got cropped off oh uh, yeah they, it must uh, be hard hanging off a boat holding the camera though and getting the horizon right that's probably a ch challenge yeah. in and of itself oh i know and as i said because we were hanging over i mean i was black and blue when i came home and so was everybody else on the trip if i ever did it again actually this last day i was so sore i took some towels and and made basically a corset out of the towels so that when I leaned over, I could... that's I, well, that's yeah. one of those things that people don't tell you about boats because I, I do exactly the same thing. You know, if I if I've been on a boat, then my knees are bruised, my shins are bruised, my you know my stomach's bruised where you you know you're banging against the side all the time, and you don't notice it while you're in the moment because you're so concentrated on what you're photographing or whatever else you're doing. You know. Uh, you know, during that boat trip. And yeah, you just, you know, you get back and you go, oh, that hurts. And this hurts. Well, well, I'm not surprised. I've been hanging over the side for half the day. But yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, but again, it's sort of a, like, it's so much fun to do. And it's so much fun to, to try all this stuff. But always at the back of my head when I'm there is, you know, basically the birds are baited, right? And no. it's, it, I didn't like, I don't like that feel like, I don't like that mm. feeling at all. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, I mean, I appreciate that it's not, it's not baited like an owl. It, it's not the same connotation. I mean, th these birds have been living like this for the last 10 years. That's their life. Um, but it's, um, but to have the opportunity to use a wide angle lens, like for five days, for a probably, you probably use it for an hour to an hour and a half every day, wow. which is a lot. And it, it was just, it just gives you opportunities and practice in doing things that you normally would never mm. have a chance. Yeah. Just like, like the, the blurs, like normally if I'm on a trip, I don't do blurs because I'm so worried about getting you know like when i'm in barrel like all you want to do is get good shots of the idlers and you're not going to screw it up or waste time what i would have said waste time on blurs but but there 
the, the they're so confiding and it's so easy. Mm. You know, you know that you can spend a half an hour doing blurs and probably getting nothing. And you don't feel like, you know, you're lo- you've wasted a morning when you could have mm. had something better because you've got time to do it. So I, so that part, I really, and that was just such a nice treat to not always be under the gun. Like, Oh my God, I don't have that shot. I want that shot. Yeah. For the wide angle lens too, it, it seems like a perfect subject because the um, exaggeration or the distortion you get from being wide works excellent with their bills. You know, when you get the, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it adds that clownishness to it, which I think is kind of characteristic of the bird. Yeah, th- there's a real comedy to, to some of those images, yeah. which I've I've always really enjoyed. But- well, one of the best pictures that uh, the tour leader Sean got was one of the pelicans landed on the canopy of the boat. And so with his wide angle, he had it up and, and the the pelican opened his beak. So basically- I saw that shot. Two tack yeah. sharp eyes and yeah. then the beak basically eating his camera, right? Yeah, he so, shared it on social media recently. Yeah, it was I've so seen cool. it, yeah. like, I, 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 I missed that one. But uh, <laughs> like, there's so many cool shots you can get. And then a lot of the participants you know, got to work on the full frame, the drops falling off the end of the beak right because mm, if yeah. you're 24 to 70 they're only four or five feet away i had my 100 to 500 and i mean i don't think i ever went in closer than 400 wow. um the uh, the when, then, when could you say that with bird photography very yeah. rarely yeah. although you know the last day i did take up my 600 millimeter for about 15 minutes because i thought i've dragged it all the way here and this will give a different perspective than all of the other pictures because nobody else has a super telly here and maybe I'll get a different, um, anyway, I didn't like them as, I mean, I, I got some shots that are kind of cool with the mountains in the background, but, and nothing as good as with the wide angle. And, uh, but at least now it just gives you a lot of confidence. I mean, I went, I mean, basically I was a beginner with that 14 to 35. I've used it on, you know, flowers a few times, but never on anything else. And, um, uh, and then now I know, like, if I ever get to Yellowstone, that's going to be like, oh, you know, get those but beautiful. You're not going to photograph wolves with your wide angle, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, but that picture you have, Josh, of the the bison in Yellowstone with the one, yeah. it's, oh, God, that's yeah. a nice picture. Yeah, that might have been, I'm wondering if that was a 24 to 105. It was, you could easily photograph bison wide, but uh, with a 600 millimeter, you'll need them for wolves and you'll yeah. get a spec. <laughs> exactly. Unless you get lucky, unless you yeah. get lucky. But. Yeah. Well, funny that you were talking about um, you, you being able to experiment, Gail, when when you were out in Kikini. And this is something that Josh and I touched on in the last podcast, actually, when we talked about shooting uh, more locally. And when we, we sort of talked about going on trips and where you can't actually be as experimental sometimes because you want those banker shots. You know, so if you've gone out to see the Big Five, for example, in Africa, and you only get one or two opportunities, you are not going to be experimental, are you? You're going to be, you know, you're going to want your banker shots before you get there. So, uh, yeah, uh, you're having the time to do that probably is quite unusual, isn't it? When when you actually yeah. go away and you go to these locations. Yeah. And I mean, and I was worried about because I was saying five whole days of just shooting one species, like this could be real snoozeville, you know, like, I mean, I, I didn't know, but it, it, it opens up all these possibilities of things that I would never have thought I had time to do. And, and there's no pressure like to, to get the shot because you know, you're going to get the shot. These birds are so habituated and get come so close to the boat, but uh, no, it's, it's definitely fun. And I'm so like, I'm just really psyched to use my wide angles more, but again, now back in Canada, I mean, you know, 
again, you there's know. not many places I, you know, maybe a Gannet colony. It, it's, um, it's hard yeah, to venture. Maybe I've never been there though. But... Yeah. I've been there a few yeah. times. You can easily use a wide angle there actually. Yeah. Um, but Cause even places like Grimsey where, where the, you know, the, everybody, the puffins are close, but the puffins are still only about this tall. Yeah. And even, even when I was close on Grimsey, like, I mean, I did, I did use my 24 to 70 a few times, but still, you, you still need a long lens, even on Grimsey, where you can get 10 feet away from a puffin. Yeah. Um, so, but because of ten, the story, 10 feet's a long way with a 16 to 35 or something like that, though, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> with something and I mean, that's six inches tall, yeah. Yeah, they won't. I mean, I, I mean, I was able to, like, you know, carefully crawling towards them i might be able to get within three feet of them but you know their behavior changes even even though you're a belly crawled there you can tell that they're alert like they're not doing their normal thing so i kind of that's not the shot i want so back no, exactly. we, we all know the best shots are the ones where they're acting yeah, naturally so the, yeah. but i suppose if you had time um and see again weather is a factor too because in in grimsey it's so windy only a fool would you know, put his camera down with and walk away with with a remote shutter and hope that nothing happened to his camera, his or her camera that ended up two hundred feet down on the cliffs, right? So, the, so yeah. that's the other thing about uh, Kirkini. You know, we had a, a couple of windy days, but we had beautiful, flat, calm water. Yeah. yeah, the water looks calm in a lot of the images that I see. Yeah. So I, I, I yeah. never pegged it for a windy location yeah. based on yeah. what I've seen, at least on social media. You know, no, it's funny, pit. isn't it, when you think about the expanse of water and uh, and and presumably the elevation it's at. I know, but we, we had uh, we had two mornings where we had really still waters, um, and I think we had a wind because there was a weather system that came through the day before I got there. So I think that we had uh, more wind than what was normal for that area. And again, I don't understand how that can be with you know the mountains are there and the elevation, and it's just there's something mm -hmm. about that place. I'm not. We need we need a meteorologist and a uh, geologist <laughs> and a, a bunch of people to explain to us how it works. Yeah. yeah. So what was your when you when you actually went there, Gail? What was your uh, approach when you started looking at you know different ways you can actually photograph these birds? Because obviously we've seen the standard images. I mean, there are literally thousands of them online. Um, because it's a very, very popular location. But there are a few photographers that seem to do very well. I, I, there's one I can think of in particular, Ellie Rothney. You, know, you, yeah, you, probably, yeah. you probably follow her on, on Instagram. And she produces some uh, really, really beautiful work, some stuff, I've, some approaches I've not seen you know, elsewhere. Was there anything you had in, in mind when you, when you went there, or did you just sort of play it by ear when you got there and, and, and work with what you had? Well, I knew that I wanted to to try the double exposure with oh, crossing bills on those pelicans. I just had that, which I've not seen before. I've not seen yeah, that, so I, I thought that was really good. Because I because I was trying to imagine a scene of uh, like yeah, of pelicans. Where would I use double exposure? Like I I did take some like full body shots, but when I looked at them, they kind of bleh, you know. Mm. And so then, but I had that in my mind before I even went on the trip. Um, but I didn't know if it would work or how it wor would work. So, but the, the, how I got that shot was um, in the afternoons, they have, um, you go to a beach where the, uh, there's a, where the fishermen dock and they throw the fish out there. So the, so the pelicans are, you're on land. 
so you're stable number one right you're not in a rocking boat so you can uh, and so so my thing was was how was i going to get this shot in a rocking boat i didn't realize that we were going to be on land for these um, shore feeds mm. so then that's when i was able to i mean we we're there for three hours right so i just started practicing but no i mean especially the first day when it was raining so hard it was so windy that kind of i was saying oh it's like so I would try everything that morning. Oh my gosh, I think it took 2,800 shots, just trying everything different, hanging off the boat, <laughs> up top, up low side. I hated it, literally. I went back to my room and I started on the card, like I didn't even take it out of the camera. Like the light was terrible, the water looked horrible. So I actually formatted the card. <laughs> it was just a waste. Oh, you didn't back anything up there. <laughs> no, I, I just, it was just terrible. Uh, but then once the light got nice and and then plus the other participants give you ideas too because they've seen other yeah. people's pictures and then they have mm. this idea and that idea um probably the hardest one was i uh, i never got a fish flip the, the their beaks and their pouches are so big that yes they do do the fish flip once in a while but most of them can flip the fish inside their pouch yeah. Their beak without open. opening their mouth and yeah, yeah. So, I, so that was something i wasn't expecting i thought oh i can i can get this so but that turned out to be and I, I didn't get anything that I, that i really liked and then wow. they they fight and they squabble a lot but there's so many of them that it's just photobomb city right you can't get so basically i i knew f f like from that first day when i saw how many they were and how quickly they fly into the, any like any boat out on the water they fly into uh th the whole secret is is to to find the outlier and then just stay with the outlier right because that's because there's just so much photobombing and some of it some of the photobombing if you get lucky and you get you know three pelicans in a row or on a diagonal that give a nice pattern then yes go for it and so you so you're looking for patterns too if you mm. you know but again you're hanging over the boat your head's up like this you're trying to look at your flippy screen and you're looking for that perfect lineup of three pelicans or uh, so so I was so that was sort of when I would go out in the morning on the nice days was find the outlier and always keep scanning for that possible nice formation that might happen and again yeah. and lots of times there was the nice formation um, where you could have you know beautifully uh, focused tack sharp pelican at the front and then the same head position two or three pelicans in a row on a diagonal line which is what the one I was looking for but there's always a pelican that photobombs it every time. Yeah. I think I, I, I remember there was a, um, a really good image, I think probably in Bird Photographer one year, where it was high key, slow shutter speed, wide angle, all coming in for the fish and and they they they'd done it on a I don't know it must have been about fifteenth of a second or something like that. So you know they're all a bit blurry and it, it actually was really dynamic. I had not seen that approach before. It worked really well. And, uh, and again, that, that would be that'd be a lot of frames to get that one. Yes, yeah. sure One was. morning, um, it was. Um, what was it? We had one morning where it was really, really cold, our coldest morning. And so the pelicans didn't fly out to the boat very quickly. Only three or four came. And that was probably one of my best mornings because you only had three or four pelicans to deal with. And so that mm. the other 10 weren't there to photobomb. 
the other three or four. So that was uh, so. Sometimes it's almost too much of a good thing. So it's not a problem you have normally, is it? No, no, no. I wonder no. when they see the boat. They, do they even need to see the fish? They probably see the boat and they just come right in, knowing that you know. Yeah. It, yes. they saw, when we were there, there were probably three or four tour, you know, different wildlife companies doing these tours, and and you know, they just. They, the boats come out of the harbor and they're there. I mean, yes, it's Pavlov's dog, isn't it? <laughs> from everywhere. And, yeah. um, it's yeah. it's amazing how things associate, you know, various things with food yeah. pretty quickly. Mm. It's a bit like when you when uh, tractors will go out around the fields around here and they'll plow or they'll harvest or whatever they're doing at the time. And as soon as that tractor starts up and it's in the field, those red kites are around it. You know, they hear it and they know that they're going to be flushing mammals or whatever. And yeah, and they're in. Um, it's yeah. incredible. And it's the same thing with, with, with pelicans, no doubt, because they, they, well, they just associate boats with food, don't they? Yeah. It's a bit like gulls and, and fishing boats, I guess. Hmm. But, uh, are there other species? You mentioned um, it's, it's obviously the Dalmatian pelicans. Are there any other gulls or other birds that come in besides the well, pelicans? The great white pelican, or also called the rosy pelican, he there was we had one that sort of hung around with our the flock that would come to our boat, and um, their their the pink is beautiful in them. They have this really dark, spooky eye, though, so they don't photograph well. Um, and then my, the other thing, um, are, there's a ton of flamingos, but you can't get close to them. Oh, too bad. They, mm. Yeah, they, we had one flyby where if I had my 600 millimeter. I would have got a nice shot. But I have a question for you two now. Josh, have you got any trips planned? Well, actually, I was going to go to Florida, um, but I'm going through this home renovation on the second floor of my shore house, and it's doubled in scope, so that's out the door. But Kerm and I are trying to get to Shetland this summer, so uh, that will hopefully be the big trip. Um, Rob, we've been talking to Rebecca, actually. Yeah. It looks like um, end of June, early July, we're probably going to Yeah, we're going to miss you because um, yeah, Jennifer and I are going to Shetland, yeah, early June. Yeah. I can't remember the exact date, but I think it's the first or second week in June we're going up. So, in fact, I've just booked the ferry. Oh, okay, cool. Because <laughs> yeah. we had to get a dog-friendly cabin. We're going to fly, I think, into Shetland. I think that's the plan, and then rent a car. Um, right. But it, it should be fun. Um, so what? What's the what's the flight schedule? You're coming into Aberdeen or somewhere? Are you? Or, or... Yeah, we haven't got the flights yet, um, right. so we'll have to get that sorted. But um, uh, we're going to fly in, get a rental car, and then um, there's a boat tour for the Gannets. I think it's Nos, the Nos. Yeah, the uh, Nos. But yeah, well, that's that's Rebecca's. Yeah. Yeah. So she's yeah. going to set us up on that, and then of course, you know. I guess puffins, seals, whatever, whatever we have, we're just hoping for good light. You know, otters, otters, yeah, yeah, you'll get those. So uh, you get, you'll get a ton of seabirds. I'm really, I've never ever been before, and I'm really looking forward to it because it's, it it's a, it's a third mecca. Yeah, and some of the shots that Rebecca gets, you know, those reflections of the Ida in particular, you know, in the in oh, the, the boats with the uh, red oh. water, and yeah, yeah. I. I came across that years ago in Alaska. Actually, you probably were there, Gail, in uh, just outside of the Anchorage Airport. There's a lake, and yeah. there's all these uh, whatever you call them, puddle jumpers, the yeah. planes, uh, and the they plane. the water get, plane. Yeah, and you can get red-throated loons in those yeah. colors, and it was stunning. Yeah, you know, it's like oh yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, all these all these things you can do in these locations. So yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. But it's I think for us it's going to be it's about a nine or ten hour drive from home to Aberdeen, and then from Aberdeen it's an overnight ferry to Shetland. So it's twelve hours or whatever whatever it is. Um, so that'll be that'll be an interesting experience with with uh, yeah. with Sky. I'm not, not quite <laughs> sure how she's going to get on. <laughs> on a on a ferry i mean we took her out we took her out on a on a little little boat in wales when we went um a few months ago and we went and we had a trip around cardigan bay to see dolphins uh, and i actually saw i actually saw common scoter i think while we were there as well and uh, she actually behaved really really well you know considering it was you know quite quite bumpy yeah <laughs> wow. it, you know it wasn't wasn't flat calm that's for sure so uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see how she gets on but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, we're really, really looking forward to that. And I think we're then we're going away. I think we've got a couple of days in Wales at the end of February, actually, at the end of the month. Mm. And then we're going to Wales again in the autumn for a couple of weeks for a special event, which I'll tell you guys about later on because we've got a few Ooh. plans this year, me and Jen. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, it's good. that's about all I've got planned. But Gail, what's what's the favourite place you've been to? What's your favourite of all the places you've been? Oh, that's like asking who's your favourite child. Um, oh, but you've always got a favourite. You just don't want to tell them. <laughs> no, I love, I love all of mine exactly the same. <laughs> um, uh, I, it would be a very close tie between Iceland and Alaska. But Botswana is really good too. Um, I guess I've been to Iceland five times and I've been to Alaska three times. So those are my two favorites. And if we go by the number of times I've been, I guess I have to say Iceland, but I do love Alaska. Mm. I do. Yeah, love so Alaska. Cold, cold places are preferred. Well, I think it's because it's, we, it's just more in my, you know, it's a more of a Canadian distribution. I'm more yeah. likely to see those you know those birds in Canada. It, I think it for friends and family in my Facebook, it resonates much more to have those kind of birds on my mm. my social media than you know a Marshall Eagle or a Lilac breasted Roller because you know there's no connection. But at least with everything in Alaska and Iceland, uh, there's the potential of us seeing that bird uh, this far south. I mean, highly unlikely, but still, it just feels more natural to me to photograph mm. that the bird the northern birds let's put it that when, way. when you say alaska gale are you um gnome barrow these areas yeah. Yeah. i've been to barrow twice gnome once and then spent three days in the anchorage area okay. um, so i haven't done i haven't done the bears like lake clark or katmai i'm not a bear i, I think it's not that i don't like bears i, I just feel like how can you possibly get anything different in a bear shot? It is saturated, that's for yeah. sure. Like, it, you know, how could you get something different? And I mean, well, it's that's funny hard. because because when I when I went to uh, when I was last in Canada, which is mm, <laughs> seven years ago now, wow, doesn't time fly? Uh, we went to we were in Waterton, okay, um, and. We'd gone to because we photographed, I think, about three or four species of ground squirrel. And there's a place near Waterton that has the 13 lined ground squirrel. And we want, 
Yeah, well, we wanted to find it. So we went to the tourist office and we asked in there because we'd heard there was a place you can, you know, that you can find them because we, you know, I wanted to photograph it. And, uh, and the woman behind the desk said, oh, my word, somebody not asking about bears. How refreshing is that? Oh, yes, I'm going to help you as, as much as I can. And uh, she, she was great. She gave us directions to this uh, old church. And uh, and as soon as we pulled up, there they were. We found them straight. It was brilliant. And then we had Swainson's hawk overhead. And, That's a beautiful bird. Yeah. And then we had, uh, you know, barn swallows that were nesting in the church as well and all this sort of stuff. It was great. Yeah, it was, we had a really good afternoon. It was fantastic. What's your favorite spot, Josh? What's that? What's oh, your, geez. What's your favorite spot? Uh, I, I would say probably Alaska to shoot outside of, you know, this area. I, I have a lot of places that are sentimental to me locally, but I think Alaska, there's something special about Alaska. Um, Nome, uh, of course, and even in around Anchorage, it's uh, it's like its own separate country. You feel, I don't yeah. know, it's amazing. Uh I would say Alaska, Africa, probably second. Um, you know, I've been there. That was that's been amazing. But uh, yeah, I think it's hard to beat Alaska. It really is. What about you, Rob? Where's the favorite? Where's your favorite place? Canada. Oh, really? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Don't, don't appreciate what's in my own backyard. Well, I, I absolutely loved it because it, uh, it was wide open spaces, and what characterized Canada. Uh, for me perfectly was um, it, again, it was in Waterton. There's, you, you may well know this as a, um, you know, a, a bison enclosure. Um, and we were photographing the bison and the, and the lenses through the fence and getting as close as we could. And this ranger turned up, you know, in a pickup. And I thought, Oh, here, this, this is what would happen in the UK. Okay. You see, you know, a, you know, a warden or a ranger or whatever, and they pull up and they're going to tell you, you can't do something, whatever you're doing, you can't do that. And I thought, here we go. This is going to be, you can't do that. No, 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 no. This sums up Canada and the helpful attitude that everybody has uh, there is that, oh, you know, are you photographing the, oh, what can I do to help? And it, it was, it was like, and, and that sums Canada up for me. As a, as a place, you you know, it gives you the freedom to do what you want, and they and people will help you to do what you want to do there, rather than in the UK. Anything you can, you know, they'll they'll do anything to stop you from doing things, and and there's a big big difference. And uh, no, I, I loved it. I loved the people. I loved everything about Canada. And if I if I could live anywhere else other than the UK, I'd live in Canada. Oh well. So there you go. I always say if things get bad down here, I might move to Canada. <laughs> well, it's not yeah. too far for you, Josh, is it? It's it? well, a short drive for you. And we've got an extra spare bedroom with a whole new spot. <laughs> the, uh, I know any, there's a lot of short drives up to there escape. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I must admit, you know, it's funny. Um, a friend of mine came up to shoot when we had the owl eruption. Last year, came up from Florida to shoot the owls, and uh, so I know. So we were wandering all over people's properties, walking along the cliffs, and um, so we found an owl, and it was so cold. But anyway, so we're shooting away, and the lady who lived in the house whose property we were on come came out onto the deck, and my Floridian friend said, "Oh my God, what you know? We're on her property," and I looked at her, and and the lady in the house whom I didn't know said. 
you know, you girls must be so cold. Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> and that blew, that blew my friend away. She thought she thought where the shotgun was going to come out. <laughs> yeah. but, but although having said that, in since I started birding, there had, you know, when I first started birding, there was never a no trespassing sign in my area. You know, you just wandered in as long as you closed gates and didn't, you know, uh, pollute. But it's funny, in the last three or four years, I've noticed that there are more and more properties that have the no trespassing sign on. So I think that mentality is creeping in here as well. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's the mine. Yeah. It's mine. It's yeah. But, yeah. Now, but having said that, if you're willing to make the effort, like there's a couple of places that I love to shoot that I, the signs went up. So I just went over and found the owner. And introduce myself and explain who I was and said, "Is it okay yeah. if I, you know, if I see a good bird, can I glomp all over your property?" And and there, I mean, yes, of course. Like, there's never anybody who said no if you ask. But but I, but the you can things are changing. You can see that that distrustful yeah. mentality of, you know, you can't go on my property. And and, that, and that's what that's what I have. You know, in where I am. You know, I live in North Hampshire. It's agricultural, uh, and it's we have a lot of um, chalk streams which are world renowned actually for the, you know, for their ecosystems and, and how unique they are. And of course they're all controlled by private estates that use them for trout fishing and charge a fortune. Uh, so you can't get anywhere near them and, and they're great for birds. I mean, we've got so many birds around here, you know, barn owl and, and um, all, all sorts of things, but you, you very rarely get close to them because it's all agricultural land which you can't get access to unless there's a public footpath across it or it's private estates fishing estates um you know shooting estates it's it's really really difficult so although i've got plenty of countryside around the areas that are accessible are very few and far between mm. and people will fence it off and they will you know there will be notices up saying keep out private everywhere yeah. Uh, the United States is the same and uh, everybody who has property with a keep out rest assured they have guns <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I will not uh, tempt fate uh, but I've come across that's that a scary time. part when you're in the states at least in Canada the sign might be there but I mean they don't have a gun <laughs> they might get really cross but they don't have a gun but, yeah. but it is kind of sad there's one road in particular that's great for warblers where i live it's not 10 minutes away and and it, it's about an eight mile dirt road and you just cruise up and down and and when i first started warbling over on that there was i never saw a single no trespassing sign mm -hmm. and last year i went and i it, it felt like every property now had a sign that said no trespassing and, wow. and like you know where did that come from none of this was here last year so mm. I, I don't know if they've had that are there many wildlife photographers up your way Kim? Um, i would think not right no, you know, in terms no, there's, yeah there's probably um well i mean when i first started there's probably only four or five of us there's probably about 20 of us so it's not like we're we're interfering have with. you been responsible for for the growth of uh, wildlife photographers yeah, in your yeah. area again no we have a couple of really good photographers here that uh chris Tinsky and anyway there's a couple of really good but although i must admit they they tend to be more landscape photographers but a lot yeah. of them are switching into wildlife because now that people can afford the bigger lenses because the price points are coming down especially the zoom lenses the sigma you know those yeah. then people i tell you and those those zoom lenses i said i don't own a 600 millimeter prime 
because I just can't see the point in spending that much money for me, for the photography that I do, I'd hardly ever use it. So I'm not going to spend 10 grand or yeah. more. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a lot of drama now too in the tech community because yeah. Canon, the new R-line cameras, the RFs, they're not allowing um, Sigma or third party. Um, yeah. Really? Yeah. So oh, there's I didn't a know lot that. of drama around that. And people are upset. I think rightly so. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, dear me. <laughs> the, the, and, you know, some of the stuff like, I mean, people paid, I don't have an R, Canon R3, which is not their flagship, but is their flagship. Uh, and, and now that sensor that people paid, you know, $8,000 for when they bought their R3 is available in the R7 and the R8 now, for which are, yeah. you know, $2,000 cameras. And if I had an R3 and paid $8,000 for it and had my, you know, my neighbor got I, I bought the R3K. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get the R8? Uh, yeah, the, the the saving grace though, I think the difference between the R3 and some of the is the buffer. Um, yes. you're able to shoot a lot more, but yeah, yeah I I hear you. Um, you know, Canon of the major brands, they're still producing sensors and a lot of their high-end cameras that are lower megapixel. I'm yeah. hoping that whenever the R1 comes out or whether it's the R5 Mark II, that there'll be a higher resolution, you know, similar to what Nikon and Sony and some of the others are doing. But can you keep up with all this? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like owning cars. You sell, a, you know, you sell a lens or you sell your old body. I have to say, uh, to, to your previous point too, Gail, when you're talking about uh, camera bodies, they do not um, keep their value as much as lens historically. But over this COVID crisis in the supply chains, I was able to sell. Um, my r5 and an r6 that i had for almost close to what i paid for brand new and this oh. uh i want to say last year and I, I the only thing i can account for it is the supply chain and things are backed up and people are starting to pay you know close to full price for some of these things but I, but that's an oddity though i think once once things eventually pick up well, I, I mean, my I was upset with the One DX3 because when it, that came out, I I forked out the big bucks, and then four months later, the R5 came out on the market. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, actually, I just sold my One DX3, and but I mean, it was a desperate sale in a way because I knew it was going to become the most expensive uh, paperweight. Because yeah. why would yeah. anybody want to buy the One DX3 when the R1 and well, the R5 is a better camera. Then the then the one day well almost a better camera the the image quality of the one DX three was really amazing, but still the uh, anyway the, there's so much. The autofocus is a game change. The AI, I think, and when you can compose and put the animal anywhere in frame without moving the joystick, yeah. that's such. Yeah. And and the silent shutter too. I think those two yeah. things, you know, alone. They talking about talking about kit and lenses and things, how do you find? actually getting these things on a plane because obviously with the I weight did. and everything this I is a re did. this is a really good point to talk about i think yeah especially for travel i get yeah. anxiety packing before i go and i always try to pack more than what i need because you're scared you're not going to have it i knew you were going to bring this up Ralph. This is what <laughs> now, I Gail, gail's showing everybody a, yes. a, a backpack but yes it's my see, backpack. Thing is, it's a podcast gail so people can't see it <laughs> You're gonna have to describe it, Gail. <laughs> Basically, I got yeah, nice I, was bad, thinking, Gail. I, was so, I was thinking I was so smart. <laughs> I'd show everybody as I've had the Gura Gear 30 liter 
um, bag ever since I started, and I can get everything in that bag, everything, my 600, my my 100. What about the weight, though? I mean, the the weight restrictions. Well, but you know what? People never think that a middle-aged woman is carrying 40 kilos worth of gear on her back. (laughs) (laughs) So it's true. It's true. They never stop me. I mean, they just really? they just don't think that it's possible that that uh, I could ca- that I could carry something that heavy. I mean, I'm very careful. Never, you know how the stewards or stewardesses will sometimes come down and offer to help you put it. And yeah. I always say, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> I'm afraid that I'll get caught. But so I thought uh, you had to weigh those bags as you go in through. Well, if you have if you have a wheelie bag, they weigh them every time. But if you have a backpack, oh, they yeah. don't. You could, you, they won't oh, ask the way. I didn't know that little trick. I should the, have to remember worst, that one. The worst nightmare, I think, when traveling is when you have all your gear and if you have like a think tank roller or something and you go on and it's a small regional jet. This happened to me in Canada a couple of times. And there's very little overhead. The overhead, you can maybe put like a, a pouch, you know, it's so small or a backpack. And then they say, oh, well, you need to check this, sir. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I cannot check this. Right. And then, you know, you start sweating and like, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And then they finally agree to put it in the uh, cabin up front where the yeah. flight attendants and then you're yeah. looking, you know, is it still there when you get off? <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Here, catch. <laughs> no, I find that, well, when you fly with Air Canada now, like when you, when you um, check in online, they, you know, it says you must have your medications. Any electronic equipment has to stay with you. It can't go in the hold and batteries oh. and all this stuff. So, so now, like, I mean, I, I, it's, it's in black and white on, on the screen when you, when you, if you actually printed out the six pages of yeah. a boarding pass, it, it's there. And so now I, I just figure if they ever ask me, I'll say, well, you yourselves have said that, you know, camera gear and batteries and that's good to know. Yeah. You. Yeah. But um, no, well, when I was um, flying home, for, I, would, I did a workshop in Botswana and there were six of us and five had the think tank roller bags and I had my Kiboko Gura gear backpack and the five, there was absolutely no arguing, no discussion. They, they had to, they had to gate check their gear and wow. I got to, I got to carry my backpack on the oh, I've seen how those baggage handlers oh. handle that bag. But you know what? Everybody, it turned out okay. Nobody had any issues on the other wow, end. Wow. But they, they never even asked to weigh my stuff. Like, I mean, I'm standing that's with incredible. all of them there. Yeah, and that's... they never said a thing to me. That's and, cute. Wow. Yeah, so, so I still have my Think Tank roller bag, but I think the last time I used it was 10 years ago. The, and I keep thinking one of these days, you know, as I get older, I'm going to have to go back to the roller bag because I won't be able to carry all this stuff. But um well, mm-hmm. having said that, I mean, you know, I, I actually think that things are getting so much lighter as well now. I mean, if you if you looked at something like OM System, for example, you know, how much lighter that kit would be. You know, I'm certainly thinking about it because I, I tell you, I can't I can't carry heavy backpacks anymore. It just it kills my back. You know, I've had years and years and years of it. And uh, yeah, the, the chiropractor bills are just getting too much (laughs) so i i've just decided that actually since i've stopped carrying all this gear around with me it's it's improved my back no end and walking sky a lot actually because i you know i walk her five or six miles every day and that's really helped with you know carrying nothing basically and and if i do go out now i tend to take the you know the harness and just one camera and one lens 
it's, it's, it's freeing when you have that. Mm. I mean, or even when you travel and you don't bring a super telephoto, like a 600, then it's just, you know, some landscape lenses, maybe a 70 to 200 and, and you can put it in a backpack. I did that when I was in the Falklands actually a couple of years ago, cause you don't need a super telephoto there. And it was so freeing. I mean, I, you know, it was so easy to get on the plane and yeah. I question ever bringing my 600 again on trips. Some trips you need them obviously, but, uh, yeah. but I mean, but even, even with the 850, you know, with the, with the battery grip and everything, and it's a bit of a beast when you put all heavy, that on yeah. it and you, you do, even with the, even with a sort of two to 500, which isn't that heavy, but it's, yeah, it, the, the whole lot combined, you think, oh, you really know when you've been out using that all day. Yeah. yeah it's a bit, bit tiring, but, uh, so Gail, I had another question for you, actually. What's your, what's your, um, sort of worst nightmare, your worst experience traveling? Well, I, I mean, last year with post COVID, uh, I mean, you know, being on Grimsay for a week without any clothes. <laughs> 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 At least you had your camera. <laughs> yeah, I, well, actually, you know what? It's funny. When I was checking in um, uh, on my end, um, when you're in Halifax, there's a lobster pound. So because people buy live lobsters and take them home. And so as I was checking in, I looked at the girl and I, I said, you know what? I have a bad feeling. Anyway, so I got out of line and ran over to the lobster store and asked them for it. They have these, you know, big bags. And I threw in my long johns and my down jacket and my gloves and mitts. And one other thing, oh, my pajamas. And so I carried that on board. And thank God I did because I had nothing. And I mean, it's cold. So, so that was, but as far as actual photography, oh, I mean, I went to um, Amherst Island in Ontario to photograph the owls for six days. It was cold. It was miserable. We had snowstorms and never saw a single owl. We saw a Northern Hawk owl on a telephone pole line. Um, and that was it. I mean, I think I took 28 pictures and they were all of us feeding the chickens. <laughs> we were feeding the chickadees. <laughs> so, so a, a week's trip and it was a workshop and it was, you know, 3,000 US dollars. And wow. Ouch. Yeah. Actually, you know, we ended up going to Chapters, which is our local uh, uh, bookstore. We bought a pretend snowy owl. We put it on a branch outside the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> See, we got one. <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, that was probably my worst trip in terms of, but, but I mean, I don't even count that as a bad trip because I mean, it, it's nature, right? It's a crapshoot. You do not know yeah. what you're going to get, right? It, mean, it'll do what it'll do, won't it? I mean, you can't guarantee things. But uh, no, I, I think last summer, uh, the and then I got stuck in Barrow um, for a night, for an extra day. And then I had three days between Barrow and Iceland. So I ended mm. up having a day and a half. And I couldn't fly into Sydney. I had to go to Halifax. So I had a five-hour drive back to Sydney, which I had to repeat the next morning to go to Iceland. Anyway, so uh, mm. the, uh, so that was probably, I mean, the trips themselves were good, but the travel and everybody, all the, you know, the staff was stressed and everybody was rude. And, you know, it was just not a pleasant yeah. experience. But this, this time I felt when I was traveling, it seemed like everything was back to normal. Every, you know, the staff was back to normal. Lineups, yeah, Jennifer and I were going to go away. We we sort of planned to go to Sri Lanka over Christmas, just gone, uh, and then all the problems started happening over there earlier last year. And we thought, 
maybe we don't go to Sri Lanka, maybe we'll go somewhere else. And then we looked at Kenya and these sorts of places. And then all the problems over, you know, the flights and the baggage handling and this, that and the other. And we thought, we've only got a week. I don't want to, you know, go from being stressed and needing a break into another set of stress, having to cope with flights that are delayed or cancelled or transport that you can't organise at the other end. And in the end, we just said, no, no, I'll tell you what, let's just, let's just stay in the UK and we'll just, you know, drive somewhere. <laughs> and that turned out to be a bit of a disaster as well. <laughs> yeah. Did I tell you this story? No. We, we Well, we took a week over Christmas to go to Wales and we thought, because that would be the easier thing. We haven't got a, any flights. We could just get in the car and go. Anyway, my car insurance was due. So I paid the car insurance and I paid the car tax that you have to pay over here because it's due at the same time. And then I thought to myself, oh, hold on a second. Isn't my annual check, you know, we get certificate, your MOT certificate, say your car's still okay to drive on the road because they do all these checks on it i thought ah oh, isn't that due and it had run out so of course my insurance wasn't valid if i didn't have this and so i thought okay well we can't take mine i said to jennifer we'll take your car it's fine so we loaded her car up and uh, we set off down the road and we got i don't know about 30 30 miles along the road and all of a sudden the light comes up on the dashboard and I said, oh, I've got an engine management light on here. What's, what does this mean? It's flashing at me. And she said, oh, I don't know. I said, oh, I said, oh I've got no power. <laughs> so we pulled over and we got the manual out and it said, drive to your nearest garage. So, of course, and now it's like the day before Christmas Eve. So we've got, you know, naff all chance of sorting something out before Christmas. So I said, I said, right, um, I'll turn the car around. We'll limp it home. While I'm doing that, ring a car hire company because we're going to have to do it now and organize it now, bearing in mind it's Christmas Eve tomorrow. Uh, and so we had to we had to hire a car. So we've got two cars between us. Couldn't drive either of them. So we had to hire a car at great expense. Uh, and we picked that up. And on the way, but so we'd gone and we'd had a whole week and it was great, you know. And And we were on our way back and we were 50 miles from home when all of a sudden, I, you know, I hear this sort of slight pop and I, and, and on the, on the dashboard, this light comes up and says rear tire seven PSI. And I thought that's not good. <laughs> so we, we had a blowout and I had to, this is on a dual carriage where I had pulled over in a lay-by and rang the car rental company and, and they got, they got it was recovered fortunately. And we were just outside of town, fortunately, but we were only 50 miles from home. Anyway, that delayed us about four or five hours to get all that sorted out. Oh, it's just, and you thought you couldn't make it. I can't remember the last time I had a puncture because you've got no spare these days in modern cars. You just don't have a spare. So it had to get recovered. Oh, ah, yeah. So I thought, here's me. Don't want any stress. And anyway, there you go. <laughs> Josh, what about you? Have you got, have you got any nightmare stories? Uh, traveling was, nightmare it stories? was actually recently and it was it's just, you know, travel anxiety and, and with equipment. I was going to Yellowstone actually, and I was flying out of DCA right outside of Washington, DC on the other side in Northern Virginia. And I was going through and the TSA officials like, well, sir, you know, they scan the bag, you know, it goes through the scanner. And that was, it was my think tank bag and I had all my equipment in there. And he's like, well, can we look at your bag? And it's happened a million times to me. Yeah, sure. And he says, well, we're going to have to run everything through. They literally took 
every teleconverter, every lens, every charger, and ran it individually down the conveyor belt while all these people were coming in and out. And I'm having, I'm like, oh no. So I'm just standing there watching it. And, you know, all these people are going through in each piece of equipment. It must have taken 45, 50 minutes for them to go through. And I was thinking, what are you, I've never seen that before. And I'm thinking somebody might pick up the equipment and, you know, raw, Mm. you know, uh, but fine. Then I had to put it all back together again. I was almost late for my flight. Uh, needless to say, I wasn't too pleased, but thinking I have two options. I could be nice or I could not be nice. And this is not the environment where you don't want to be nice. So exactly. I was patient, yeah. but uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I sweated it out as I was watching everything come in, you know, slow. And it was going in between people's shoes and, you know, all those things with laptops and everything else. And, did they give you a reason why they did that? No. No, I just think it was incompetence. They just didn't know what they were doing, or maybe it was a trainer, a new person. I don't know, but I've never seen that. Normally, when they do that, they'll either do like the uh, the bomb test, swab test. For uh, what's that? I always get the swab test done for they're looking for bomb materials. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to be, and then they just disassembled the entire thing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So what what's the next trip, Gail? Uh, actually, I've got I've got three. Believe it or not, I'm going wow. to the Michigan Upper Peninsula in uh, at the end of May with a friend for warblers, and then uh, I am going to Columbia the first two weeks of September, and then hopefully three times lucky, I'm going to the Falklands in, in November. But I just, I'm so paranoid. The first time I was supposed to go to Falklands, I got ill and we had to cancel that. And then the second time was the trip was booked in 2017 for 2020 and then COVID hit. uh, And so every book for 2021 and the Falklands was still closed in 21. So, and it's actually, this is the fourth time I'm trying to (laughs) Hopefully you can get there, Gail. Um, All the horror stories I've been hearing. Yeah. Did you get a place at the volunteer house with Dara? Yeah, and, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, well, that was the, uh, that's the sort of the reason why I didn't want to do the or, an organized tour. A, I mean, I think I'm pretty okay. It's small, and you can I think you can figure it out with the managers uh, on the islands. But I really wanted like three or four nights at volunteer house for the king penguins because if you do a, mm. a tour, it's just a day trip and it's a two hour bumpy drive there and back. Apparently, yeah. And yeah. The, and I was I stayed with Derek a couple of years ago. And you All see right. the buses show up at like 11:30 a.m. It's not yeah, ideal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. So that's so. I so hopefully the but I mean the horror stories and the Argentinians are not. They're playing hardball with some of these flights. To, um, um, a Facebook friend, actually, I have met Judy Rojero and her husband. They went there, and for some reason, once a month, the Latum is that how you say it? Latum flight uh, yeah. out of Santiago has to land in this place in argentina and rio gallegos i think or something like that yeah we had to do that did you but this flight had the governor's husband on it so they were told that there was no airspace for their plane to go through to fly (laughs) to the falklands so they waited on the tarmac for four hours then finally they turned them around so they were two hours into their flight back to santiago when the argentinians cleared them uh, the airspace for them to go to the falklands so it, you know, the, the the war might be long over, but the feelings and the dirty political stuff that's going on between Argentina and the Falcons yeah. is still going on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the flights, I know that the um, 
uh, Denise Ippolito's recent workshop, their flight was canceled. And uh, they, um, but I mean, they got back the next day, but they were all at the airport and, you know, the sign comes up, your flight is canceled. Did you have any issues? No, we, we, actually, we were pretty, we were lucky. This was in what, 2018. We had issues. Uh, a friend of mine, um, her father used to own one of the islands actually out west in, in the uh, in the Falklands. Um, it was called New Island. It's called New Island, actually. Yeah. It, and that was donated into the trust. So I, we went to visit her and we shot there. But you can only fly off of this island if you have a north wind. And we did not have a north wind coming for the near term, like nothing forecasted <laughs> for like the next couple of days. We had to get off the island. So we got on a cruise ship that showed up. We didn't even have tickets. They knew her, thankfully, Georgina. She's very sweet. And uh, they sent a Zodiac out, and we got on the Zodiac, and we went on a cruise ship, and they took us back to Stanley. That was pretty oh, interesting. Yeah, that's cool. It was a very expensive cruise. Uh, <laughs> Lloyd, it was a German cruise, and there's about 150 people on. There was one of these cruises where you had multiple people on staff for just one person, and then oh, we show wow. up like all dirty with our photography equipment, <laughs> and they're staring at us. Uh, did um, you did you have to do the washing up? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, it made for good stories, I think, for the rest of the crew. They're very curious on who are these people that just show up. <laughs> and did anybody? They must have all spoken English, though, if they were German. Yeah. Most of them yeah. speak English. Yeah, so. yeah they were all very nice, and they yeah. uh, you know allowed us to eat you know in the diner, which was very nice. I mean, we were having shrimp and avocado dip. <laughs> it was, nice. it was, yeah, uh, but they presented I, you with a bill at the end. Yeah, no <laughs> bill. Believe it or not, I was like, wow. They didn't like, charge you. RAF all? rations we're eating on a <laughs> new island, but they didn't charge you. No, oh, no it was so uh, nice. It was just wow. a very, very nice thing because they stop in on the island and they, you know, they have a tour. And yeah. thankfully, the island we were on was part of this tour. And they said, "Well, we're heading back to Stanley," and they took us. That's so wonderful! So, what a yeah. nice story. If we didn't there get on go. the boat, the, we would have never the adventures, made it back. the adventures of traveling people. Yeah. Yeah. The well, I mean, my fingers are crossed. I just feel like I've tried so many times to get there that you know what else is going to come up. The uh, but anyway, well, it'll be amazing. It's the yeah. best bird photography in the world. It's hard to come oh, close to that. And and I don't pack your six hundred. You don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> I would take a hundred millimeter macro though. You can get yeah. some great you know bill and eyes and yeah. stuff like yeah. that. But uh, yeah. the seventy to two hundred was the most used used lens that I had there in the twenty four to one hundred five. I mean, they'll walk right up. I to think you. I think this is this is actually really quite key isn't it talking about basically looking at doing your research before you go anywhere and to exactly the kit that you think you're going to need i yep. think that's that's key that's probably a good takeaway from this isn't it is and if you are going to go on an expensive trip make sure you do a, a, a lot yeah. of research and no, I've been picking everybody as soon as I see on Facebook or Instagram, somebody's just back from the Falcons. I introduce myself and say, the, uh, you know, what's this good? But, but um, somebody else, uh, to, uh, to, oh, Vicky Joron was telling me that uh, she wished she'd had to brought her 100 millimeter macro. So I thought, okay, well, that's, I mean, that's a cheap enough lens that I'll just throw that in my duffel bag. Like, I'm yeah. not even going to worry about you know, packing it. So that's an easy one to do. And she said the same thing, the close-ups of the eyes and the bills, and which I honestly would not have thought of about bringing that lens. I really wouldn't have. So yeah. of all my shooting, the, there was one day where I had the best light ever and it was in the Falklands. It was at volunteer point. It was my last morning there. I was there with a friend of mine, Sue Jinder, and we woke up and we saw this ring of fire and we uh, ran down. It was the best light I've ever had. 
Oh, cool. amazing yeah yeah you're pretty lucky i think because normally it's it's pretty miserable isn't it <laughs> it can be crazy i mean you could but what's nice is the the weather patterns go through so quickly in the falklands yeah. you'll get rainbows and a lot of dramatic skies and it makes for great photography it really does because i mean a lot of people i come the comments i read is you know well we started out in the rain and i wasn't gonna go and then all of a sudden, you know, the rainbows come out, the sun comes out, and thank God. You yeah, know, the weather comes yeah. through really quickly. It's like Scotland or anywhere like that. You know, the weather really does come through quite quickly. So when what looks as though it's going to be pretty horrible actually can give you some of the best lighting conditions. Well, we've been going for well over an hour. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we wrap up? And yes. let's let's wrap up with Gail's one piece of advice, if you could give anybody a piece of advice about traveling for photography, I'll put you on the spot here, Gail. What no, would it be? It, it's research, 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 research. Everything. Read everything you can about the destination. Talk to anybody that you know so that you have the right gear. Um, and and your clothing and not not so much for you know well i mean if you go to africa with the wrong clothes that would be uncomfortable but if you're going to northern destinations know your base layers and layer your clothing but it's it's research it's it's you have to take the time to research the flights research the island research the birds of course like so that would be my tip 50% of your travel is up front before you even go i think and actually, I think that's almost as fun as the actual trip because I oh, love. I think so. It, it builds the anticipation yeah. as well, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So Absolutely. that. So there you go. Research, research, research. Brilliant. Well, Gail, thanks very much. It's been a, a pleasure to have you on, well, and uh, for and and for for, nice for this chat, you, you know, and uh, and take us to uh, more exotic places than we we went to in the last podcast. Because <laughs> yeah, we we talked about shooting on your on your doorstep, but uh, yeah, I think it was it was a nice it was a nice way to. Uh, to, to sort of dovetail into that podcast, yeah, I think, by doing, by doing the opposite. Thanks, so. Gil. It's yeah. nice talking to you, Josh. Happy okay. travels, everybody. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thanks. thanks very much, everybody. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll uh, see you again in the next one. You have been listening to the Wildlife Photography Podcast. If you have enjoyed the content, then please help us to spread the word by sharing a link on your social media platforms, giving us a like and leaving us a comment. See you all again next time.